Friends, it's amazing, actually. I'm so excited to see so many faces out here again today. Um, I'm excited, of course, because you were willing to dare to get into your car and to drive through all of the snow. I had a mentor on the east side who was a dear friend, interestingly, of Pastor Pete Larson, who used to say all the time, the weather is so bad today that only the aged and the infirmed will come to church. The weather is so bad that only the aged and the infirmed would come to church. And he'd always say that with a little bit of a smile on his face because of the accuracy by which he spoke. So friends, I'm so thankful uh, that you are here today, but I'm also excited and it's encouraging to see God's people rising to the challenge of reimagination of flexing our creative muscles we sit under God's word and the future shaping of Holy Cross. Uh, That's all basically a fancy way to say that I'm really glad that Jesus hasn't scared you off yet. But we're only in week four, and there's several more to go. So Jesus may still do that, but for right now, I'm incredibly encouraged that we continue to sit under God's word as we engage in this missional mandate to walk with everyday people every day as we live out the abundant life of Jesus. Friends, I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that you've been here for the entirety of this particular series, but if not, please make sure to check out our YouTube channel uh, to get caught up. I'm going to do my very best here in about nine sentences to boil down where we've been. So, thus far we've listened to the prophet Ezekiel remind us that the future church must and will be different than the church of our past, that at least in this season, it will be more about going than about coming, more about living out there than being cloistered in here. It is a, it is a season when God's transformed people are ushered forth from this place of worship into the mission fields, into the places where we live and work and play. And as God's transformed people go forth, we make disciples by inviting others into a relationship with ourselves. And more specifically, into a relationship with the Jesus who is both in and with me. See, living in the abundant life of Jesus is living in a rhythm of of coming in and going out. It is the life of a trickle that turns into a torrent by the power of God's Holy Spirit. So that as Ezekiel says, wherever that river flows, everything will live. And friends, I I think that's what we long for, is it not? Isn't that what we desire to see? Dead people coming alive, healing for the broken, freedom for the prisoner, sight for the blind, people and communities flourishing under God's goodness. I desire to see that. Friends, this is the bedrock. It's the bedrock for our family of faith, for our community, as we walk with everyday people every day, living out the abundant life of Jesus. Now, it bears repeating uh, that the missional mandate of Jesus never changes. It has been the same since Jesus commissioned those first disciples in Matthew chapter 28. And to be honest, interestingly, this missional mandate is 
held, or at least ought to be held, by every church that calls themselves Christian. And in this way, no church is unique. Every church called Christian, every church who is rooted in Christ, every single one of them, both the church corporate, but every disciple who is orienting their life around Jesus' own life, is called to make disciples. We all share this particular mandate. And so what makes us, that's Holy Cross, this family unique? You see, each, each church, as it lives out this mandate, each church is a little different in the, in the values that they hold and live out as a community. It is those values or what we would call missional motives as we hold on to them and live them out, not only in this place, but out in that place as well. It's those values, those missional motives that make every church just a little bit unique as each and every church lives out that missional mandate. But it's, it's not only, friends, it's, it's not only the values or those missional motives, it is also the, the strategies or the, the vehicles that we as a family choose to use in order to accomplish that mission. So what makes us unique is, is, of course, those values that we live, those motives that we live and hold on to, but also the strategies by which we accomplish the mission. And finally, the, the thing that makes us unique is what is the specific vision, this five or ten year picture that is for Holy Cross in this season? So it is, it is those things together, those missional motives, the strategies, and even the vision, the picture of the future that makes us unique. Now, I, I get it. Like, I, I just gave you kind of organizational structure, uh, the mission, vision, and values kind of shoved that all into your brain in the course of about nine sentences. And some of you are like, Pastor, what are you even talking about? Uh, this is what I'm talking about, right? I'm talking about the heartbeat. I'm talking about the heartbeat of Holy Cross for the next five to 10 years. As we, sisters and brothers, that we live out the mandate which is given to us by our Lord, that mandate filtered through our motives to see transformed people transforming other people so that a community would flourish. What am I talking about? I'm talking, I'm talking about our identity and our purpose. Now, friends, I, I feel like there are crises of identity flooding what feels like every single conversation that I'm having everywhere, every day. A conversation's about sexual identity or gender identity or political identity or religious identity or ethnic identity or the preferred kind of coffee brewing identity. Identity is like this massive conversation. And church, it should be. Questions of identity are core to what it means to be human. This question of who am I is the question that kids and teenagers 
ask on repeat throughout their development. Uh, It's a question that we watch people have when they have a midlife crisis. They're asking, is the identity that I've been living, is that the one I want to continue having, or should I embrace something else? And interestingly, it is the question that people ask near the end of their life. Who have I been? See, identity, who we are, is core to being human, and it's, it's certainly core to our family of faith. And so as we dive into the scriptures, we'll have, to, we'll have to reimagine a little bit how identity is claimed. And so let's do this. We want to go all the way back to the beginning, to the book of Genesis. So you'll want a Bible, the one you brought, the one that's there. And we're going to go to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 26, that scripture which Emily read right at the beginning of our service. So Genesis chapter 1, right at the beginning of the Bible, verse 26. Now, when you get there, just, just a little context, right? When we get to verse 26, we are in day number six of the creation. And if we were to back up just a little bit, the Lord has just created land animals, right? Not, not water animals, that was the day before, right? Land animals, day number six. And he looks at all that and he says, it is good. And then in verse 26, God creates the pinnacle right, the pinnacle of his creation. Uh, He creates mankind. So let's look at it. Here we go. Chapter 1, verse 26. Uh, Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, now for lots of us, church, I, I recognize that this story isn't new, but there are several key things that I think we need to hear and to see. And so first, first is that God declares, listen, God declares humans as image bearers. And friends, this is unique to all of creation. Uh, Nothing else that God has created, and by the way, he's created all the other things, nothing else bears his image. Now, if we go to the New Testament briefly, Paul will say in the New Testament that God's fingerprints are all over the creation, but, but it's only humanity, it's only humanity that bears God's image. Nothing else bears the image of God himself except humanity. Secondly, it is worth noting what's not here. And what's not here is the word if. Uh, we, We don't read humanity bears the image of God if 
fill in the blank, right? Uh, they bear the image of God if they listen to the right music, right? Doesn't say that. Uh, if they vote the right way, if they have a particular color of skin, if they eat particular kinds of foods, if they attend the right denomination of church, or, or if they attend church at all, if they believe the way you do, or if they believe at all, if they're gender solid and not gender fluid, or, or maybe if, if they don't have homosexual attraction, or if they worship with an organ or a rock band, or if they don't worship false gods or idols, or if they only brew their coffee by pour over. We don't read any of that. There's no if, and there's no ands or buts about it. It is simply, it is simply that every human being, every human being, every human being bears the image of God. Why? Because he says so. Now, I vowed as a parent never to use the phrase, because I said so. Because my parents, of course, use that phrase all the time, because I said so, right? Those of you who are parents probably know what I mean. Those of you who've had parents probably know what I mean. You ask the question, why? And they say, because what? I said so. Friends, I use that phrase all the time, because I said so. Every human being bears the image of God because he says so. Now, God may not care in the way that I care about socks on the bedroom floor of my kids. But make no mistake, he cares about humanity bearing his image. Every human being Every human being, every human being bears the image of God. Why? Because he says so. In other words, God declares the inherent worth of every human being. And so for us, family, that first missional non-negotiable, the first missional motive for us as a family of faith is this, it's the inherent worth of every human being. Missional non-negotiable is the inherent worth of every human being. It is the declared identity of every human being as a bearer of God's image. Why? Because he says so. And friends, when we hold and live out this particular motive, this value, it will move our hearts and our actions to a posture of radical hospitality to a radical invitation to all people into our lives, both corporately as a gathered group of people, but also in our kitchens and on our couches. 
It is the posture of Jesus himself. If we were just to scan the Gospels, if we were just taking a quick glance at the way Jesus lives out this value, we'd see time and time again that the religious are often quite upset with Jesus. Why? Because for Jesus, there is not an us and a them. There is not those who are marked only as gods and those who are not marked as gods. Every human being Jesus encounters bears inherent worth because that human being has been crafted in the image of God. He bears that image. And so if, if we were to scan through those gospels, we see time and time again, Jesus entering into a relationship or inviting into a relationship with himself, lepers, prostitutes, tax collectors, Gentiles, all of the people that the religious had said, ah, they're not us. And because they're not us, we shouldn't sort of invite them in. Jesus again and again and again and again sees every individual as one who bears the image of God. Church, if, if we are going to engage in this mission, to walk with everyday people every day, to live out the abundant life of Jesus, that first non-negotiable must be the inherent worth of every human being. Those who walk in our doors and those you get to interact with in the mission field, in the places where you live and work and play. If we are a people whose lives are oriented around Jesus, then our lives ought to look like his, with a radical hospitality for any and all people, because they are inherently worthy. Now, my guess is, my guess is, is that some of you are saying, yeah, I, I'm, I'm probably not living up to the standard of Jesus. And, and I, don't, I don't want you to be confused. I, I, I'm sure it's easy to listen to Pastor Adam or myself say these things as, as, if, as, as if we somehow have it figured out or that we're living it perfectly. Friends, that is simply not true. We also are in process. We also are learning what it means to have a radical hospitality, learning what it means to have the posture of Jesus, learning what it means to invite any and all people into a relationship with ourselves, and more importantly, into a relationship with a Jesus who is in us and with us. And if I'm honest, I'm, I continue to learn these lessons, interestingly, not, not necessarily from people in our family of faith. I learn it from strangers who who, by the way, aren't churchgoers. This past Thanksgiving, my family was invited to the, to the house of some friends of Adriana, our youngest. And I gotta be honest, I wasn't really excited about going. 
Because it meant I had to small talk people all day long. And friends, I do enough small talking on Sunday. Like I, I use up every bit of small talk on Sunday morning. I, I have zero left for the rest of the week. This is a newsflash probably for some of you, but I'm, I'm wickedly introverted. And so when I have to interact with you people on Sunday, I'm exhausted by the end of the day. I go home and nap. I, I mean, I love you and I'll talk to you because I love you. But friends, I'm exhausted by the end of the day. So the idea of going to Thanksgiving at somebody else's house was just exhausting. But Aaron, God bless her, twisted my arm and said, we should go. So we ended up at Rye's house. And Rye's family, Amy and Chris, they, they had invited this huge group of people. It was part family it was part friends, and it was part co-workers. And Chris, Chris is an engineer, and he works with people from all over, the, all over the world. And so there at the dinner table were several people from India, and then across from Aaron and I and our kids were two people from Peru, Luis and Ana Flavia. And we spent a whole meal, hours and hours and hours, just being curious about Luis and Ana Flavia. And interestingly, they spent hours and hours and hours being interested in us. I remember walking away that day and being super thankful for Chris and Amy and Rye, who though they aren't churchgoers, reminded this pastor what radical hospitality looks like. Our youngest is in the Jenison Junior High production of Shrek. And on Friday night, after the uh, performance, we're standing out in the lobby of the Jenison Center of Fine Arts. And who comes to congratulate Adriana but Luis and Ana Flavia? Out of nowhere, two roses for a job well done. I'm in process too of what it means to take the posture of Jesus, to be open to any and all individuals that God's gonna put in my way, to invite them into a relationship with myself and more importantly, into a relationship with the Jesus who is in me and with me. So maybe, maybe you're like me and you feel like you're not living up to the standard of Jesus. Uh, You're in good company. And it's easy for those of us who feel the weight of that to lose sight of our true identity. We lose sight of what God has said about you and me. In fact, we take on the identity of what the world wants to tell us. We take on a a performance identity or a perfection identity. Friends, we, we have to remember that our identity is who God says we are. Fast forward just briefly to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 3, that reading that we heard Laura read moments ago. It's this beautiful picture, this beautiful picture of Jesus coming to the waters of the River Jordan to be baptized by John. And as he comes up out of those waters, something miraculous happens, right? The heavens are opened and this, I don't even know what that means, but the heavens are open. This dove comes out of the heavens and lands on Jesus, identifying him as the one who is anointed, 
identifying him as the one who is anointed. And as that spirit comes and sits on Jesus, a voice from heaven is heard, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. It's interesting in Matthew's gospel, this is my son whom I love. In Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel, the words out of heaven are, you are my son. But in Matthew's gospel, it's as if, it's as if he needs everybody to hear around him the identified, the declared identity of who Jesus is. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Interestingly, from that place, Jesus is led out into the desert to be tested to be tempted by the evil one. And it's in that place, in that desert, being tempted by that evil one, that it's always, it's always a matter of identity. The first tempting from the evil one is if, if, if you are the son of God. If you are who God says you are, then turn these stones into bread. The second one, if you are the son of God, if, if you are the son of God, then throw yourself off the temple. The tempter calling into question the very identity of Jesus. Jesus' response to that first temptation, the first calling into question of his own identity, is to quote the scriptures that man does not live on bread alone, but by the very word that comes from God. If I could rephrase for Jesus, he's saying to the tempter, no, no, I'm God's son. Why? Because he said so. If you're feeling the weight of not living up to the standard of Jesus, then you need to hear that you, You are God's son and daughter. And God is well pleased with you. No one else, no one else gets to give you identity. Only God. You are God's son. You are God's daughter. And with you, he is well pleased. Friends, we we need to hear that more and more and more and more because it speaks to the core of who we are. In my first congregation, I was privileged to meet a woman named, who will say, named Kathy. And Kathy came to me with layers and layers and layers of shame and guilt for choosing to abort her first child. And she was living with that for years. And she was absolutely convinced that those choices were somehow unforgivable. That she couldn't possibly, couldn't possibly be a daughter of the king. I'd love to tell you that in those sessions of counseling, like I was some pastoral care ninja. And all I really had was to remind her that you are who God says you are. You are who God says you are. Maybe you need reminding too that you are who God says you are, a daughter and a son with whom he is well pleased.
Friends, if we're going to be a transformed people, sent forth from this place to help transform other people, we need to hold on to this rooted identity of both the inherent worth of all people, but to understand our purpose in the mission begins with our identity as a daughter or a son of the Heavenly Father. Right, so if we get that out of order, the mission is dead. We have to hear what Jesus says, that we are who he says we are. And it's from that place that we get to go out and see the inherent worth of other people and invite any and all people into this beautiful relationship, not only with ourselves, but with the Jesus who is in us and with us. So may God strengthen us to that end today and every day. Amen? And so may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, guard and keep our hearts in Christ Jesus today and every day.